Welcome back, everybody. My name is Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. And happy Halloween, everybody. It is spooky season, and Halloween is still a couple of weeks away, but here we are with our Halloween episode. And to celebrate, we have a super fun and spooky tale about a butterfly body snatchers, and a Russian doll uh, nesting of parasites. It's just parasites all the way down today. And also, as a reminder, um, after this episode, we're going to be taking a bit of a break for a few weeks. Um, But when we return, there actually has been some pretty fun cat science that's been recently published for, for my cat Coco's 16th birthday episode celebration, we will indeed have a really fun opportunity to once again talk about cats and their purring. And Coco is a very good purrer, so it's very fitting. So uh, we had an episode way back at the beginning of the podcast um, about parasitic wasps. And looking back, I guess that was about episode four. Four, which is then wild that I'm on episode 59 and still trucking along. And here we are once again talking about parasitic wasps, but layered. Uh, one of the things that we learned about parasitic wasps in that episode is that there are a lot of parasitic wasps and just about every insect can be parasitized by at least one parasitic wasp. And in, even parasitic wasps can have parasitic wasps. So we'll do a little bit more of a review into parasitic wasps in a bit. Um, But as we introduce the topic, those are a couple of fun facts that I want you to keep in mind and just bring fresh into your brain uh, because it has been a couple of years now that we've talked about parasitic wasps. And even if you are one of the special people currently binging the podcast, it's still good to have a little refresher. And there are a couple of Finnish names that I very admittedly did not double-check pronunciation, so bear with me. We're going to try our best today. So take yourself to the Åland Islands in Finland. In August of 1991, uh, 72 groups of Glanville fritillary butterflies were introduced to the Sotunga Island in the archipelago by a researcher looking to see how the butterflies would spread across the island. While the Glanville fritillary butterflies existed on other islands in the archipelago, for whatever reason, this particular island originally had zero butterflies, or at least zero of this kind of butterfly, and also a thing to keep in mind, also zero parasitic wasps, since it didn't have the host. So it made it an ideal spot to do the science and dispersal. Um, And what was an unexpected twist, though, with the introduction of the butterflies, not one, but two parasitic wasps were accidentally introduced to the island as well. One that parasitizes the butterfly itself, a hypositor horticola, and then an even smaller parasitic wasp that parasitizes the parasitic wasp And the second one is Mesochorus stigmaticus. So it's just parasites all the way down. And then a couple years ago in 2021, and what triggered 
this episode, which has been one that I've kind of been keeping on the back burner for a while, a paper was published looking not at the butterfly dispersal, but instead looking at how the two new species of wasps have dispersed over time, the genetic diversity of the populations, and how they've been able to remain stable um, over time, even as the butterfly populations tend to go up and down. So that paper is what brought the series of parasitism to the headlines. I'm not really going to focus on the wasp dispersal itself, really just this whole system of parasites we have going on here. Now, who are the players here? So first we have the Glanville fritillary butterfly, uh, Melitea cincia. What's fun about the common name is that it's named both for the checkerboard pattern and for the naturalist that originally discovered the butterfly. And what's fun about that it was actually a female naturalist, and especially in when you're in like 16, 17, 1800s, a lot of the naturalists doing the naming and the discovery and getting named for things tended to be, uh, maybe not exclusively, but tended to be uh, rich white men that could explore. So it's kind of fun that we have um, a lady naturalist. So the butterfly has an orange and white checkerboard pattern on the wing. Uh, which is what the fritillary part of the name refers to. And then for the naturalist, as I said, it was a female naturalist who discovered the butterfly. And this was particularly unusual in her time frame in the 16-1700s. Women were typically not out frolicking with butterflies, and yet here she was. Uh, Lady Eleanor Glanville was known at the time for her unusual hobby of collecting butterflies and was labeled as an eccentric butterfly enthusiast. And one of the quotes Wikipedia had from someone talking about her um, essentially said something like, what kind of crazy lady wants to go around chasing butterflies all the time? But, you know, people have special interests and sometimes special interests are butterflies, which is really super cool. And, you know, someone has to go hang out with and collect the butterflies. And her uh, hobby, her interest did uh, get her at least one butterfly named after her, which is really quite the honor and legacy to have a species named after you. The Glanville fritillary is found throughout Europe, but does seem to be most common around Finland, particularly around the Åland Islands. But there are also some populations in the UK, down to north with northwest Africa, and then in the east they are found in Turkey, Russia, um, as well as northern Kazakhstan and Mongolia. They do prefer open grasslands where their preferred flowers grow. And since we're talking about them and their parasitic wasps, there are actually several species of wasp that target this butterfly. Most of them are generalist wasps, but there are two of them that specialize in the Glanville fritillary. And it feels weird to call them our friend, but that seems to be a habit of mine lately. So one of them is our friend of sorts, Hypositor horticola, who doesn't seem to have a common name. Scientific is all we get, which is not super unusual for parasitic wasps since there are a lot of them. According to the 2021 paper, about one third of all Glanville fritillary butterflies are parasitized by this horticola wasp. So when the butterflies were originally collected with how many were collected, it was pretty much guaranteed that at least a couple of the larvae would be carrying the wasp totally unbeknownst to the researchers. And 
Uh, once we've talked a little bit about the parasitic wasps, we'll get into how it could be that the researchers moving these larvae wouldn't have been able to know that they were carrying um, parasitic wasps. So for Hypositor horticola, if we remember back to episode four, there are two main superfamilies of parasitic wasps, the Clacids and the Ichneumonids. Both of today's parasitic wasps that we are talking about are in the Ichneumonid group. So if we continue hearkening back to episode four, uh, parasitic wasps are technically referred to as parasitoids. So what's the difference between a parasite and a parasitoid? Correct. A parasite relies on the host for food and shelter, and in order to keep itself alive, would also prefer the host stay alive. For a parasite, killing the host is an unfortunate side effect of their actions. For a parasitoid, the host is always killed. It's just what happens, their mode of evicting themselves from the host, um, and in the case of these wasps, the hosts are generally killed rather gruesomely by just bursting forth from the now-dead carcass of the host. Um, for ease, though, I will just refer to the wasps as parasitic. It's not technically wrong. Most people do just refer to them as parasitic, um, but parasitoid is technically the most precise, the more precise word for the relationship. So for the first wasp here, Horticola specifically targets the Glanville fritillary moth. They don't search out any other insect. Oh, sorry, the Glanville fritillary butterfly. They don't search out any other insect, just this butterfly. Many parasitic wasps lay eggs in or on the insect itself, so either a larval stage or the adult stage, depending on the target. In the case of this guy here, though, it actually injects its eggs directly into the egg case of the butterfly. So these guys, I will have to see if I can find a picture for social media. I wasn't super successful so far, but we shall see. So in order to inject eggs into egg cases of a butterfly, they've already got to be pretty small. And um, apparently this wasp is quite methodical about their search for hosts and Wasp in general, like the whole Hymenoptera um, order of insects, that's the ants, wasps, bees, sawflies, things like that, they, over as a group, they are incredibly intelligent. Um, so kind of like bloodhounds, uh, the horticola wasp has a pretty tuned sense of smell that it uses to specifically sniff out the butterfly eggs. And there was one study I found that was pretty interesting where they um, put the wasp in an environment with different um, volatile compounds, so different smells, and they had different plant smells that it could be detecting as well as uh, the different like volatile compound smells from the eggs. And the wasp was really only attracted to the eggs. It didn't go after the plants. There were some plants that they were just straight up not attracted to at all. It was the eggs that they made the beeline for. So what they do, they sniff out these eggs and then they monitor them for a while um, until they're ready to lay their own eggs. And then what the wasp does is inject their eggs right inside the eggshells of the butterfly eggs. So then when the butterfly caterpillar um, hatches, 
it's already going to have the wasp inside, um, which saying that is a little creepy. Our second parasitic wasp, uh, Mesochorus stigmaticus, is the next piece of the puzzle and also had the least readily available information about it. Um, most of the information I could find about it was um, it, most of the information I could find about it was about it in relation to um, its host wasp in really this gen <clears throat> really in this system. Um, but um, pretty much what I could find. This parasitic wasp infects the previous one, the horticola wasp we were just talking about. So we have a small wasp that infects the butterfly, who then has an even smaller parasitic wasp. So this is one I extra haven't been able to find a picture yet, so fingers crossed for a picture for you guys to see for social media. But if I had to guess, this little guy is probably the size of like a wee little tiny black ant, ant like at best. Um, so one of the, there were a few little bits of information that I could find for this guy. Um, one is that there are over 600 species in the Mesochorus genus, so it's got quite a few friends in there, but also not a huge group. Um, the second was vaguely where the wasp came in for the sequence of emerging events, and we'll get to that later. And then the third, which was one I thought was interesting, is that not all horticola wasps are susceptible to infection. There is yet another organism at play to make that possible. So after I talk about that, we'll outline the series of events to that have to play out for all three of these critters to be introduced to the island. So there is a bacteria that is carried by about 40% of insects called Wolbachia. And for reasons, just the way it operates within the system, it is passed down maternally in insects, and it can have an effect in many sectors of the insect's biological systems. It can negatively affect an insect's reproductive system, um, usually giving them either totally non-viable eggs or just reducing the number of offspring, either way, fewer babies. Um, it can make them more vulnerable to predators, or in this case, it can impact the immune system of the wasp and make them more susceptible to parasites. So for our unfortunate horticola friends, not all individuals are susceptible to the Mesochorus stigmaticus parasitic wasp, but if they do have that Wolbachia bacteria, then they're more likely to have the parasite because with that bacteria present, um, the parasitic wasp is able to inject. Uh, so, what would have to line up for all of these species to be carried to the island? So, the Glanville fritillary butterfly caterpillars would be harboring the horticola parasitoid, and then this horticola would also have happened to have the Wolbachia bacteria, which would then have allowed it to be parasitized by the stigmaticus wasp. So then um, this one caterpillar has not one, but two parasitoid wasps growing inside its poor, unsuspecting self as it just eats away at the leaves on the plant that it has settled on. So how do all of these wasps emerge and how does the system work? So I could find the sequence of events for emergence of each of these wasps. And that's what I'm going to get into now. So if you've managed to make it this far, but 
aren't too sure you want to hear this little bit, um, this could be a good spot to skip ahead, maybe like 10-15 seconds or so. I will try to do a little bit of like a ta-da when it's done. Um, unfortunately, the one bit of information that I really wanted to find but couldn't was exactly how the stigmaticus wasp got its eggs into the horticola wasp, so that part is still a little magical. Um, but I was able to find when they emerge. So what happens in the instance where of a caterpillar where all of the previously talked about conditions have been met? Um, when the larvae for the horticola wasp is fully developed, it will burst from the caterpillar who then dies. Um, so I'm not sure how far into that they are alive for, if they know they are being eaten from the inside out, or if it's pretty quick, it's a caterpillar, I don't know. Either way, they're dead by the end. So instead of being able to live their full little waspy lives, um, when the horticola is infected by the stigmaticus wasp, it is then killed by the emergence of said little tiny wasp, who then not only gets to eat the wasp host, but also uh, gets a nice little caterpillar feast. So really the stigmaticus wasp gets the best end of the deal. Um, it gets to eat a wasp, it gets to eat the caterpillar. So he's a lucky little guy. So that little bit was the last bit I had from about wasps emerging from things. So if you're looking for the point to be done skipping ahead, this is the point where we are done talking about um, potentially gross things, if you think such things are a little bit gross. Um, so while this is quite the wonky happening and not likely to happen in all instances of move moving species from one area to another, like you're, it, there aren't too many systems where you're going to have like a butterfly that you're locating or like some critter that you're locating that can be um, simultaneously infected by like two different parasites that parasitize each other. Um, but whenever you're uh, moving, this is something to always keep in mind. Several scientists in all of the articles about the 2021 paper were referring to it as a bit of a cautionary tale. In trying to help endangered species recover, particularly those heavily impacted by humans uh, doing things like taking away habitat or just being bums and killing a lot of things like we're pretty good at doing. Um, so relocations to better and more complete habitats and reintroductions to old habitats are both pretty common practices. And oftentimes, species are taken from well-established populations in order to support the new ones. Um, or in cases of controlling an introduced species, bringing in that species predator also happens a lot. There are some cases where to control an invasive insect if it has a very specific parasitic wasp, especially in this case, um, that wasp will also be introduced. However, if you aren't careful, you can also bring in parasites or pathogens that can be pretty detrimental to new areas. So it's not like the risk means that we just shouldn't do reintroductions or relocations, but it could mean that there are precautions to consider and um, things to keep in mind. Um, like in this case, the potential for an unsuspecting caterpillar to be smuggling not one, but two parasitic wasps. 
Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and know anyone in your life that needs to learn a bit about butterflies and parasitoids, which we all know is everyone, share the podcast with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And if we get lots of really good reviews, then we could start showing up in the science charts for podcasts and that'd be pretty nifty. Um, so all of those are great ways to support this podcast and help new people find us. If you are on Facebook or Instagram, be for sure to give us a follow at Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky on Facebook and quirky creepy freaky pod on instagram to get all of the pictures and updates on the podcast thanks to my sister kaylee Strait for creating the theme music for my podcast thank you all for listening and we will see you in a few weeks <laughs>